podcast world. This is Caribbean Power Lunch, where we feature Black-owned businesses. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and today we are back with Osei Rice Alexis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Osei's in the house. Yeah, man. Yeah, good Osei. to be here as usual, Kevin. Good to be here as usual. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good to have you as usual. You know, we're drinking rum, having a good time. Shh. <laughs> working <laughs> oh sorry yeah, me drinking we, water we strategizing and consulting yeah, and all these yeah. things <laughs> so today you're here with um one of your howard brethren and you know it's funny right because so we start i started a podcast featuring black entrepreneurs and now so many howard men yeah. <laughs> rolling yeah. up yeah. in the cabin studio we know howard is like the the ue campus in washington dc yeah, so like, yeah. i like realized like a mecca. truckload of, of caribbean people trainees you know as i was saying you could go to howard and not have one american friend and yeah. be completely satisfied with the experience there if it is that's what you're, you know, you're comfortable with. So many of us up there, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I'm, I'm unfortunate to, to meet OCE and, and these other trained audience because for me, I came the other direction. I, I grew up in the US for a while and met them all in UE, UE Washington, D.C., you know? And um, coming back home to Trinidad and see everybody here doing great things is definitely an honor to be part of that movement. And he showed us how to be a trainee. If you come from Trinidad, this was <laughs> yeah, the yeah, biggest, yeah. biggest trainee. <laughs> hold on, guys. Hold on. Hold on. Right now, everybody's hitting the strange ways. Oh, yeah. yeah it's true. I know yeah. Kevin. I know I say you. Who is this other guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good evening, everyone. Wherever you are in the world, my name is Kylie Kwai. Definitely uh, an honor to be here on the show tonight. Um, I like the idea. I like what you're doing. And um, if it is that you need me to recommend other persons to come on this program. Oh, I thought you were going to say fund or invest. Oh. <laughs> well, we could, we could get there too. We you're could get there too. But no, I can. Yeah, no, definitely. I, <laughs> well, yeah, right after you finish this strategy yeah. session. Strategy, strategy session. session. Yeah. See, I can't even yeah. say strategy properly. Yeah. Too <laughs> much water. Nah, man. Yeah, I, have to, water. I have to spread the word because you're actually doing something good and um, positive and I love to be part of the things that are heading in that direction. And um, only because, you know, Osei Voucher, you know, it's not coming <laughs> on the program. But it actually led me to listen to all the previous um, episodes that you had. And the persons that you had on the program are all people that I respect. And um, hats, hats off to you. And whoever's coming next, you know, um, this is a great show to be a part of. Agreed. Yeah, I heard you throwing some shade from a boy, Andrew Jeffers, earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. Hello, Howard. Man. Yeah, well, he actually made me listen to that whole thing, but I had to endure that whole interview <laughs> with Andrew Jeffers. It should have been short, right? Uh, yeah, actually, no, no pun intended. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, it should have been short. I guess it was on replay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Shout out to Andre Jeffers. He came and brought some wisdom and knowledge, everything. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. episode 22. So, Kyle, mm-hmm. we, we're doing Tobago Beach Soccer. Yes. World of Dance. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we read cheerleader now. Why, 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 what is this chair? Chair and his yeah, son. Chair and his son. Yeah. I, feel like, I feel like we should we should just let him give us the little chronology because the amount of things <laughs> on this man's resume right now, like, I feel like you know, you need to let him give it as it happened because it's too much to just jump into like you know wait, wait, wait. talk about the two bars he owns oh gosh yeah. Yeah. no I mean I, I, oh, see, I, uh, I think it's true I think we should you know start from where it all began yeah you know, yeah, um, yeah yeah I agree with um, coming out of Howard that's um, where I would I would start from that experience in Howard you know, so be, Howard kind of got that yeah. entrepreneurial spirit in your mind yeah basically because when we were in Howard we were, we were throwing parties we were doing events um, we even had a section in the, the mud band in Washington D.C. Garage Boys had a, a mud band for D.C. Carnival and myself 
myself and a couple other friends, we decided we wanted a section. And our group was called Do It, Do It Entertainment, you know, and that same mentality, just why not do it? So we were doing carnival section, we were doing soca songs, we were doing um, a football team, we were doing parties, you know, we were doing um, carnival sections in Miami and stuff like that. So we got involved very early, you know, being in that Howard network. Coming out of that, you know, just open your eyes to realize that there's so many things you can do and we have the education to back it up and now we get an experience and we're on the ground all the time. So for me, it was an easy transition to get into the, the entrepreneurial world coming out of Howard because they always encourage young black persons to get involved in, in business. And I was in School of B. Anybody else was in School of B here? Oh, oh you're right, right, right. School <laughs> <No>. of Business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but by young black persons in Howard, you mean the Howard students? Yeah, 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 no. Well, it was, it was a little diverse, but I mean, no, no, definitely. Um, you have the whole students because every majority black, but you know, the, the persons that were lecturing you, you know, they encouraging you to think differently, and they were they were showing you, you know, different ways that you can make an, an impact in the world by looking at what you can bring to the table, finding something that you're really good at, and going for it. You know, um, everyone is not built to work in corporate America or corporate Trinidad. So, what do you do if you have certain skill sets? And um, they they showed you how to to harness that talent and and really push forward to become an entrepreneur. And I think that's the direction I decided to go in from that period. And that would have been around, well, we started around 2002, 2003 in Howard. Undergrad there at Howard, I did it in business. I did my my minor in sports administration because I had a love and a passion for the sports business world. Just sports business, but you weren't necessarily like much of an athlete yourself? Or yeah, you um, definitely. Um, football has always been my life. Played football at a level in Miami. Played a state team in Georgia, high school all county team and all those kind of things went on to Howard to play football and just got involved in so many things I was the president of the international student body at, at Howard and um, just becoming a well-rounded person I think that's what that university encouraged you to become so being involved in CSA being involved in the international pals body being involved in football being involved in events I think it, it led an active lifestyle that pushed me to, to do what I'm doing today hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. But how do we move from right. graduate from Howard, right? right. So from you play Howard. football, you went yeah, here, yeah, yeah. you do you, you just do it, right? Yeah, we do it. We did it. <laughs> yeah, we did it. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> so um how you do from that to beach soccer. Yeah, so in two thousand and ten, my roommate at the time, Derek Dickinson from Tobago, you know, we went to uh, an event in Washington, DC and it was a beach soccer event and we we saw the persons displaying high level of skill on the sand and we're saying no this is a product that we could probably bring to our island you know surrounded by water we like football we like lime we like beach we like sun we like party why not see how we could infuse all those things and do a nice event in tobago so that was one of the reasons why i was thinking about making him move back to trinidad but also at that time i got the opportunity to work with trinidad tobago football association with the women's under 17 world cup that was being held in 2010 so i decided to move back to trinidad and took up that position there how did you get i mean how did you get that position off it? um Is so basically that? i am um, just i sent my sent my resume oh just like that yes yeah, my okay. resume and um made a couple of calls in trinidad and i'm letting them know of, of what i've done my interest in coming back to, to be a part of it and um they gave me the opportunity and I, I i took it and while doing that stint for the world cup I was sitting down trying to figure out how we're going to launch this beach soccer product. Um, went to Tobago many times, looked at the the model, sat down with my partner Derek, 
started a company called Bagel Sports. The focus was to develop sports on the island of Tobago, looking at the sports tourism model, how we can attract persons to the island, high level, bring visitors in, but also from the developmental side now that the local athletes can gain some kind of knowledge and experience from the international athletes coming to Tobago. Right? So we started the Beach Soccer Tournament in 2010, and within two years, it grew to become the largest beach soccer event in the Caribbean with 15,000 US for the grand prize. We had FC Barcelona flying in from Spain to come and compete. We had players from England, Germany, Brazil, and it just grew and grew and grew. And it eventually became a staple calendar event on Beat Soccer Worldwide, which is the governing entity for, for Beat Soccer on their calendar. It grew so big that we did not even have enough space to facilitate more teams so we could have only capped out capped off at a certain number like 10 to 12 teams but then the woman got interested in it and the woman said well the guys are playing we want to play as well so we developed a women's division and it, it grew from there but coming out of that we were able to form an association the beat soccer association of Trinidad and Tobago which was developed to foster growth in the sport because FIFA has a world cup for it and we were able to get players coming out of that tournament into the national team and representing Trinidad and Tobago at the world cup level so, so many things came out of it. So, we were now sending players to Russia, Portugal, Belgium, Switzerland, England to play beat soccer as professionals. And these were guys who were just playing ball in the sand in different villages in Tobago, in Plymouth, in Blackrock. Some guys come as far as Maruga in Trinidad. And they are now using beat soccer as a tool to develop as a national athlete and as an international athlete. And it just opened the door. And that tournament really took off. And I, I was so grateful to see that we have local talent now representing us on that world stage. Why is it that we haven't heard more about those achievements? You know, I feel like it's the first time I'm actually hearing some of these things and I've actually been to some of those tournaments. Yeah. So how, why is it not more publicized than something that's, you know, pushed yeah. out more in the media? Internationally, it's, it's all out there. I mean, we, a lot of the correspondence that we push is outside because we're trying to get the international athletes, international teams to realize that we have talented players and bring them across. We've worked with Flow Sports, we work with um, TV6, we've worked with Wii Sports, all covering the events, trying to push it on television. We've been on national TV doing interviews, um, taking players to do interviews and stuff like that. Tobago knows about it. Like when you tell Tobago beat soccer, like the whole of Tobago will come yeah. down for beat soccer. They, they, they know. They I think know. that's the first place I saw it, you know. I think yeah. maybe in Tobago several years ago, I might have seen that beat soccer thing. Like, yeah. This is real vibes. Yeah, that's well, that, that's our event. It's, it's, yeah. it's eight years, eight years now we've been doing it. And um, every kid coming up now wants to do a bicycle kick. They want to dive in the sand, they, you know, and it's, it's, it's a sport where they can be creative, they can be acrobatic. And um, I guess that natural football ability and the little wildness that we have, you know, um, it's a good marriage for, for our players. But then coaching and discipline. So what we started doing was bringing in coaching programs. So we started coaching players, right, how to become coaches, certifying them. So now they can now take that skill set and now teach people in the community on how to become a better beat soccer player. So we've pushed it internationally to the point where one player from Tobago was even signed by FC Barcelona to play in a season tournament. So beat soccer is different. They play like on a circuit similar to T20. So right. you would play, you'd play a tournament in Portugal for like um, six weeks. Then you go off to Italy and play. Then you go to the US. And Barcelona was going to the US to play in a circuit. And they asked one of our national players from Tobago to play with them under the FC Barcelona brand. So that's just a testimony of us working real hard pushing the tournament but showing the impact the tournament had on the local players and that was basically 
my way of getting into the whole sport in arena in Trinidad and Tobago and understanding how it works after being away for so many years. And it opened the door for me to do multiple other things that I guess we will talk about yeah. going forward. Yeah. So you were just inspired. You just started. Yeah. You didn't have to go and get any sponsorship. You didn't have to go and raise any money. Because I heard you talking about players flying across the world. Yeah, we really have to say thanks to the sponsors who came aboard in year one. Uh, we got support from Sajiko and Tobago of Assembly in year one to get things kick-started. Okay. And from there, it just grew. We, um, other entities started jumping on board because of the attraction of, of the event. Did, they, did the sponsors just jump on board right away or was it like a big uphill climb or so? Well, in year one, because of what we were trying to do and um, the persons that we would have had good relationships with, they took that leap of faith with us. Right? Sajiko especially and the THA, knowing that we were young professionals back home trying to focus on a sport tourism niche, they gave us that, that chance. And from there, it just, it just grew exponentially. And for me, seeing these sponsors come on board, right, it, it influenced other sponsors to come on board. Social right. proof, and, right? Yeah, and it, it just took, it just took off from there. So for those for those events that we did in Tobago, we started you now looking at locations in Trinidad. But because of the, the geographic, you know, layout of Trinidad, it was it, pot's all in here. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was difficult to find space to, to run tournaments in, in in Trinidad. So most of our focus was across in Tobago. So if Trinidadians saying that they don't know much about it, it's because most of it was done in Tobago. Right. Uh, read that you found a place in Shogunas. Yeah. yeah. So, so exactly. <laughs> Shagonas doesn't have a beach. We um we found that they developed a sand pit in, in Shagonas. Okay. And we started using Shagonas as our training hub in Trinidad to prepare our team to go off to the to the World Cup qualifiers for CONCACAF and um also share that facility with the beach volleyball team. So, you know, they're trying to use that facility to push the beach sports. So in terms of growth and everything and and yeah. kind of building this movement. Mm-hmm. I went on social media and everything. I didn't really see much mm-hmm. marketing per se. So what was that? On my personal social media? No, not your oh. personal, just on the, on the company's social media and everything. Which, which one? Belbigo Sports or, because you know a couple of companies. Well, I, I, yeah. You have a few or five or six or so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was the marketing strategy like, what was the... So for that, the marketing strategy was basically reaching out to the key decision makers in particular federations ttfa getting these things sanctioned getting fifa support getting international teams on board and our focus was just using videos using testimonials from persons that came to trinidad and sending it outside because our tournament most of the teams in our in our event in tobago not from trinidad and tobago we would have 12 teams in the tournament and eight will be international Right. right. So our focus was trying to get the outside market inside. So you, so you would see us pushing individually on, on their individual pages. So we would go and follow people and look and see where they are. And we would now send stuff on their page and stuff like that to just start engaging them to come to Tobago. And we would have brought in like 200 athletes 2016. We had about 250, you know, so we we're just trying to grow the amount of persons that came into Tobago for, for that specific tournament. And that tournament led us now to start, as I said, start the federation, which I serve as the president now of the Beat Soccer Association of Trinidad Tobago, responsible for the development of Beat Soccer in Trinidad Tobago. So, an association started just because of a business idea that you had. Correct. So yeah, because there became a, a need for development and for structure and opportunity now to develop young players into senior level players. And just to show you how it worked, Trinidad and Tobago competed in the Youth Commonwealth Games last year, all right, in Bahamas. And we, we sent a U18 beat soccer girls team and a U18 beat soccer boys team. 
And Trinidad and Tobago girls team won the gold medal in beach soccer at the Youth Commonwealth Games nice. last year. And the boys got silver. And it was the first time that a team would have won a gold medal in a multi-sport event for Trinidad and Tobago. Hmm. So that's to show you 17, 18-year-olds coming up under the senior team, training and developing. And all of these players would have seen the tournament in Tobago, play across in Tobago. So we have to say thanks to the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association, right, Ministry of Sport and these other entities that believe in what we're trying to do to show that this sport actually has a place in Trinidad and Tobago. It seems like, so this is just like the first real venture you all would have under- yeah. you would have undertaken yeah. being back to Trinidad. It seems as though you saw something like you had this plan organized. You had like CEOs of different bodies come to you. You sound like you you operated on a level that wasn't, you know, natural or, or in, uh, consistent with somebody now to university. Though, like, yeah. what was the secret sauce that you would say? Whether well, you know was advice that you were given? Was it a team that you were able to build? Was it just your natural brilliance and charisma? Like, how did you achieve such a large feat immediately? That just sounds like almost yeah. unbelievable, though. Yeah, I think it's um a collection of of everything you mentioned there because. To get Barcelona to sign a contract to come to Tobago, you know, I had to go and convince Barcelona that Tobago was worth coming to. Did you show them a picture of the beach or what did you do? It was everything. I saw, I sold the experiences. I sold the culture. I even sold the ability that our players had. And persons would have come before them and would have seen that Tobago was a great experience. And this would have been the first time they would have come to the Caribbean to play. And they were seeing how serious we were with our event and using some of the, the, the tactics of selling our country, the best that Tobago had to offer, and building a strong team that included persons internationally, persons who are on the Swiss Beat Soccer League, persons who are in the English Federation for Beat Soccer, getting them to buy into our, our initiative and sell the idea to, to Barcelona for us. And getting Barcelona president, right? Because, you know, Barcelona, they have beat soccer, they have grass football, they have basketball, they have handball, they have multiple sports. Right. And the president of the whole Barcelona club would have given his blessings for the beat soccer team to go to Tobago to play. And I think that was one of the biggest things that we we achieved. I'd say you will see from that, everything was just skyrocketing from there because we were able to attract the largest team to come to our event. In the sporting world, that kind of gave me more credibility where the Football Federation is concerned. And that's why I was able now to transition into working with the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association because they saw this up-and-coming young guy came back home, took this idea of sweating on the sand to where it is now, right? Being an international event, the largest event in the Caribbean, and now also the largest amount of international players and also developing our players to go outside. Um, we we did a lot. And just to put things in perspective of the the, the quickness of the, the growth, we were able to beat Mexico in a beat soccer event in the Bahamas. And it was the first time that a Caribbean team would have beaten Mexico who were number one in CONCACAF in beat soccer. Wow. And that just came from these guys playing against the top level players all the time and getting that chance to go outside and play internationally, coming yeah. back with that knowledge and going to play Mexico and beating Mexico in Bahamas. It was historical. And those things all happen at the same time. So sometimes it's a little bit of luck. Maybe the ball bounced right for us in the sand. <laughs> yeah, or, right. you know, sometimes it was sometimes it just um, it's proper organization as well. And I think we did both pretty well, I guess. And so using that now, I started to show persons and build relationships with, with brands and, and um, sponsors that 
I think that I could do this with anything. So if it is you, you tell me you want to do a marble pitching project, I think I could take marble pitching from where it is and take it to, to that next level. And I think that is where I realized that I had a talent for seeing something in the sporting world, holding it, harnessing it, and trying to develop it, not just locally, but regionally and internationally. And that is where I got my first job with um, the Caribbean Premier League in the cricket so transitioning from beat soccer, while that was going on, I got the call to be the marketing manager for the Caribbean Premier League in the first year. That's when we were the Red Steel. And um, it was it was a great experience for me working with the Red Steel and working with the Caribbean Premier League and making sure that every single sponsor came on board for that project and all the branding that you saw in the Oval all the sponsorship fulfillment. I'm actually watching um Eldorado on your on your on your table right now. And Eldorado is a is a big sponsor, you know, big sponsor of it. But working with all these brands in a in a big event like the CPL. Hopefully, Eldorado decides to be a big sponsor. Well, I know, right? No, that's a nice, a nice, that's a nice. But we'll plug. talk. I see you got that sponsorship. We, yeah, that's a nice plug. That's a really nice plug for them. You know, um, but but yeah, and so working with these brands, but from a sporting perspective and understanding what sport can do for these brands. I think that's when I started to realize it's something I'm I'm pretty good at. And I took up the opportunity to work with CPL in the first year. And it was a challenging year because they now enter the market. But the people behind it were great mentors and, and showed us exactly what value brands can get in a small market like Trinidad and Tobago. And then it looked at understanding the broadcast side of it, the broadcast deals, the timing of games, when to put breaks in the games so that persons could get the advertising on television, understanding that whole that whole realm of sports marketing. That is when it all clicked for me that I really think I could do this. You know, I really think I could do this on that, on that level. And CPL was great, but remember CPL is seasonal. So after the CPL was finished, there would be a time lapse before start coming back on board for the project again for the following year. And in that short space of time, the TTFA made me an offer and picked me up right after CPL. So after serving as the marketing manager for CPL that first year, I was asked by the then president of TTFA, Raymond Timkey, to be the marketing and merchandise manager for the Trinidad Tobago Football Association. And I think that is where I really got a chance to spread my wings. Right. And I got I got the leeway to be creative, think out the box, and try to change what was going on in football at the time. And I think if I go down that road and I could, and, and you see certain things that are happening, you may not have realized that the person behind all those things that was happening was sitting right here, which is um, Kylie Kwai. You know, just to, <laughs> oh, you? Uh, yeah, just to, you know, but, but the thing is, I, I didn't go out there advertising, hey, I did all that stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, that was the point in time, if you guys can think back, Trinidad and Tobago just brought Coach Stephen Hart back into the, the national team. Right. And Coach Stephen Hart, you know, took up the mantle to try and get the team, this young team, into the World Cup. And my job was to try and fill the stadium, sell jerseys. What's the capacity for the stadium? 22,500 people, right? All right. To fill that stadium and get all the perimeter boards sold around the pitch and try to bring the sponsors back into football because there was that period where people didn't feel confident in, in football and administration and how the money was being used. Right. And they, they, they believed that they didn't want to get involved in football. It was like a hot potato at the time. So my approach was, let's do some market research. So as Osei will tell you, in how they teach you to, to do everything from the ground up. So created a survey. I went all over Trinidad, from Citygate to QREP to um, UB Campus, 
to movie town, all these places with surveys, asking people simple questions. Could you name five people on the national football team? And people say, eh, Stone John still playing? <laughs> um, that, that fella, the, the white boy, the white boy, okay. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 2006, guys. We're talking wow. about 2013, mm-hmm. right? Preparing for the 2014 World Cup campaign, right? Yeah. So, starting to realize that people did not have a relationship with the players. They didn't know who the players were, right? But one thing that I did realize is that they knew who the coach was. They knew Stephen Hart. They say, um, that's the, that's the kind of white man who in charge of the team, right? Like who have, people say the kind of white yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> because he's a Trinidadian, but he, you know, he... Yeah. Mix up, mix up, you know. So the son has the kind of. Yeah, the kind of. <laughs> right? But the thing is, he was the one that was leading the team, right? And the team started playing attractive football. You know, the team went to the Gold Cup and they tied with Mexico. And they said that, that was one of the best football games in, in Gold Cup history. So the boys were playing a good brand. And these are players like Kevin Molino, Juven Jones, Kaleem Highland, Sheldon Bato, Cordo Cato. Some young players coming up, but they're doing really well but the country didn't know them by name but they knew that the team was doing well and they knew Stephen Hart was doing a great job but Stephen Hart is the kind of guy that um, he's very very good coach loves the football but he was not you know the person to go out in front in terms of marketing and advertising so I had to really we had to really convince him you know like Stephen Hart you know like this is your army you know so we we came up with something um, Warriors time is now right and he's at the front of it and all oh, so you came up with that? Yeah, Warriors Time is Now, yeah. Okay. So that campaign, we ran the Warriors Time is Now campaign. Stephen Hart is at the front of it, folding his arms. So when you're driving by, you're seeing digital billboards, you're seeing Stephen Hart in the front, the players behind him. And we try to get the players and they to be more outspoken, be more visible, to get the country to rally behind them. Then I started going after the party groups. I went after Tribe. I got Tribe to do a Warrior section inside the stadium. So there's a Tribe section. Mm. And then we had Wine Boy, Avinda, with another section. And Fantasy came with a section and we started selling tickets like that. And then I went to Corporate Trinidad and Tobago and I started encouraging them now to get blocks of tickets for their staff and people that we would like to come to the games and started doing it like that. Next thing you know, we're playing against USA 22,500 mm. people in the stadium. Max. Yeah, maxing out the stadium. All the perimeter boards are on the pitch. I mm. sold all the perimeter boards around the pitch and getting that sponsorship there because TV broadcast deal, broadcasting throughout, you know? So doing that work now, getting the team to be supported by the fans was great. And after that, now we start game after game. I can remember some of my same Howard friends asking me for tickets to come to the game because mm. it was at that point in time, everybody coming to the stadium to watch the games. And while that was going on now, I developed a, a campaign called um, the 12th Warrior. So basically, the fan to become that 12th Warrior and then the, the women's soccer warriors. And the women were trying to qualify to go to the World Cup and they were one game away from qualifying. And we were able to put together a nice strategy and it was the first time the women's team had a full house for a football game, 22,500, right, for that game against Ecuador. And I... I take this thing and I speak about it passionately because it's like seeing the progression happen like that because you're given a chance to to spread your wings and, you know, pound the pavement though, but you have to be on people all the time in Trinidad. You have to be on them. Yeah, hey, nice. we have 50 tickets available for your staff, you know. Would you like to buy tickets for your staff? Come on and support the team. The, the country needs you. That kind of thing. Um, Going from door to door, knocking on the doors and showing them. We're not asking you to be a sponsor. We're just asking for your presence. And Stephen Hart and the team needs you that kind of way. And we were able to do really well for that campaign. And I think that's when I realized that, hey, you know, 
not only I'm enjoying doing this, but seem to be doing pretty well at it. And it's then when I got the opportunity to organize this game against Argentina down in, in Argentina. Right. The idea came to the Federation. Argentina agreed to do a football match with Trinidad and Tobago. And it would be the first time we get a chance to play against Messi, Di Maria, and those guys in Argentina. So my job was to basically see if we can get some sponsors to help the team get to Argentina, but also try to create a way to get the fans involved. So I came up with a concept where we were going to charter a plane, get fans and the players on the same flight so the fans could be on the plane with the players, getting that close, intimate experience with them. And yeah, that group be on. Yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean? So you're walking, you're walking on the plane, you're seeing Kenvin Jones, you know, Radan Fabubaka, these guys like six foot tall, yeah. you know, and they're right there with the fans. And I was able to pitch it to the Ministry of Tourism and they, they love the idea because I was able to show them that the mileage that they can get in Argentina by having Trinidad Tobago branding around the pitch. That event was being broadcasted globally, right? Millions of viewers worldwide. Also, we were getting a, a location in a square in the middle of Argentina to do Tassa, Rhythm Section, Moco Jombi, Steel Pan, and give away our, our merchandise to promote Trinidad and Tobago. And also, we were getting a section in the stadium. So, on the flight, Brian Lara, Charles Marshall, GW, you know, a lot of a lot of people in the entertainment world as well as people in the business world jumping on board buying these packages to go down to Argentina. So going down there and getting that experience, you know, and knowing that I was able to put that whole thing together, get the government on board, get the national team down there, play against Argentina there, and give people a good experience. I really believe that what we were doing, right, was a great way to to really get the country back behind the team. Other side of it now. They asked me to help them with a, a merchandising project to try and sell more Trinidad and Tobago football jerseys. You know, so all these things now we're tying back into it. So we're doing fan zones. We're, enc- we're encouraging people to buy jerseys, and we're selling to the diaspora online. And it it was it was really something that I, I that I enjoy doing. And I think having an entrepreneurial bone plus the opportunity to do sports marketing, every sale that I made, I felt like it was my business. You know, like I, I was selling something because I am selling it, not because somebody tell me, boy, go and sell that. You know, I passionately believed in it. So I went and I, and I sold it. So you owned the vision of the company, essentially. Yeah, you yeah. Owned that was, the, yeah. The mission so so they said, they said, Kyle, we need this, this, this done. However you wanted to go about doing it, we're giving you free reign to go and do it, you know, and get it done. And that's, that's what I did. So when I sat down in the stadium and I'm looking around and I'm seeing 22,500 people doing a wave. You know, and I'm saying, way boy, a couple years ago, it was 3,000 people in the stadium watching football. And now we, we're selling, selling out the stadium. And then what I did was, when the team traveled to the Gold Cup, I sat down in the box in the Gold Cup. And people say, Kyle, you you crazy, what are you doing? I asked them to get me an escort. And I looked in the binoculars, saw the whole stadium in Chicago, right? And I watched to see where every single red Trinidad and Tobago jersey was and I walked the stadium and spoke to each Trinidad and Tobago fan nice. right and I told them thank you for your support for wearing a Trinidad and Tobago jersey some people told me they came from New York some came from Minnesota some came from California to support the team and what I did was I invited all these fans that I met personally to come to the team hotel afterwards so I went and I spoke to the players I said I spoke to Kenman Jones I spoke to Molino I spoke to these guys and I said guys you know People came from all over the U.S. to come and watch you guys play. We played against Guatemala that day and we beat Guatemala. 
And those guys were so appreciative that they came downstairs in the lobby afterwards and they were taking pictures and the fans met them in Chicago and they got that experience with the fans. Now, every single person there at that moment bought a jersey because we had jerseys at the... Every single person. At the, we had jerseys at the hotel. So my idea was if I get them back to the hotel, right, would I be able to, to get a sale right. Right, of this merchandise for them to leave with? And, and it was oh, working. That was your plan? That was your plan? <laughs> I thought yeah. you were doing so it from the bottom right. of your heart. So, so I have a question, right? So... Off the bat, to me, it seems as though you're an excellent marketer, as well as you have a sincere, deep passion yeah. for the sport, right? Yeah. The question is, though, which one of those two, you would say, is the bigger motivator, or bigger, not motivator, but the bigger success factor? And the part B to that question is, being an excellent marketer, do you think you would have been able to transfer that marketing prowess into maybe another field as successfully? So it's two, two parts to that question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> see, we put money spot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, no, because, that, that question is like a question yeah. I did in my exam. Which question would more mark? Part B. <laughs> let me see on your paper now. Let me see on your paper now. <laughs> no, no. Deep rooted passion for, for, for sport. I grew up in a sporting family. My uncle, Aloy Likwai, was the president of cricket for many years in Trinidad and Tobago and helped pioneer cricket to the level that it is right now giving cricket a home in Coover where there's a cricket center and these things you know so coming up in sport I always felt that sport was an opportunity for me to express myself and I'm passionate about sport football happened to be my specific sport that I had an extra passion for and I guess coming down to that question or say that marketing is about what you believe in so if it is that I believe passionately about music and selling microphones and I'm starting to get a passion, I think I could sell microphones as well because when people hear me talk about microphones, they would realize that this man is really passionate about microphones, you know? So the part B to the question is, in order to be a good marketer, you really have to be passionate about the product that you're selling and what you're, what you're pushing out there. And I think I could translate that into other areas, which I eventually ended up doing as we continue the timeline. But it um it has been something that I realized that I was actually good at. And for it to fall in football, which is like my dream job, like, oh my gosh, I get to work with the TTFA, I get to work with FIFA, you know, it, it gave me that extra motivation right. and doing so, opening doors to other persons now to, to get involved because it was a, a new market in Trinidad and Tobago and people were now seeing how this can work and how sport can be lucrative, not just from the athlete standpoint, but from the marketing standpoint and using sport to understand that it's a business and it's not just a hobby, but it's actually a, a billion dollar industry. Right? That's interesting to say yeah. that though. Like, other than what you've been doing, how do you see the sports industry in Trinidad and Tobago Mm-hmm. Or even in the Caribbean, brother, as a business, like as it is right now, yeah. In terms of dollar size and yeah. anything. No, I mean, obviously, we do have a small market. You know, the Caribbean is a small market, but what we do have is we have pockets. So, for example, example, I could use the CPL, right? right. The games of the CPL were changed to go at a later time to accommodate people in India and these markets to watch the cricket in the Caribbean. Now, if you think about the amount of persons that will be watching the cricket from the Indian market, even though the game is playing right here in Trinidad, we could have 1,000 people in the stadium, but you have a million people watching it outside. So from the business standpoint, you know, 
it's a huge business, right? But you have to look at the different sectors. Broadcast rights probably would be the number one, right? When you look at breaking it yes. down, right? Attendance, so many middle, but broadcast rights, definitely number one. And then it comes down to um, attendance, merchandise, um, sponsorship would be number two, obviously. Ticket sales and stuff. But the gate receipts and these things um, will fall in the middle. So if you look at the landscape of the Caribbean, our stadium is 22,500 people in Hazy Crawford Stadium. And what about the Kings? It's an over also. Right. And Barbados, and, um, they would, they'll be less. They'll be, I, I would say, between but, but 15, 15, 20,000 people. Right. Um, the overall is about 15,000 people. But then I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to the US and I'm watching 80,000 people in a, in a venue. Right. So what we have in the Caribbean is that we may not have the, the size in terms of the stadium and infrastructure, but once you have the quality on the pitch and you're able to sell the quality on the pitch, you can now use that to sell the broadcast, right? Mm. So if it is that Trinidad and Tobago is playing against Argentina in Trinidad and Tobago, we're only going to sell 22,500 tickets, but we're going to make millions of dollars from people buying the rights from different parts of the world to watch the game. So we now need to watch the, the, the product that we have here and seeing how we can harness the talent here to host games here, right? But focus on the international business and the global business side of it, which is why CPL, as I said, changed the times of the cricket games to later. So people say, well, why are these games so late in the night? All 10 o'clock in the night, we're watching CPL here. But that's prime time back in, in India. So how come they don't like make that known to the population though instead mm-hmm. of just... You know, you don't. You want to be a little transparent about it. You know, everybody's yeah, yeah, laughing. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I guess that's a PR question. I, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, you probably just want people to come and, and sell it as a party in the night, have a good time. But it doesn't matter on a Wednesday in Trinidad and Tobago, the Oval is full, right? But from the, the business standpoint of it, do you believe that they're going to make all that money back from gate sales in Trinidad and Tobago? With you talking about. Bravo, Pollard, Chris Gale, all these big players, plus the international players that are coming in, Tanvir and these guys, you know, they're playing here. Where are they going to make the money to, to sustain that model? I feel like cricket, West Indian cricket, mm-hmm. already had a, a certain brand value internationally, right? Right. So that would have helped. So the names, Bravo and those guys already known in India pretty well, right? Because my initial thought was, why wouldn't they do this with football as well too, local right. football and, or regional, like create the same model for football. But I'm, I'm guessing it's because we don't have the same brand recognition internationally right. in football as we do in cricket. So so the cricket was able to maximize on that, right? Get the product on the field. Once you get that product on the field, right, you could sell outside. Yeah, that so that's why I was thinking, if it is that you say, okay, well, let's bring Argentina to Trinidad to play. Right, right, right. right. People may not be coming to watch Trinidad play, honestly, you know, but they have Argentinian fans in the US, in Europe, South America, watching the team play. They would now know more about Trinidad and Tobago by watching the game there. Looking at what these other countries are doing, El Salvador and these smaller countries, they're getting games against Brazil, right? But they're organizing that game in Washington, D.C., right? <laughs> so El Salvador's playing against Brazil in Washington, D.C., Right. Why? The US market, looking at the broadcast rights globally, but then also they know that they could fill out 80,000 seats in Washington, D.C. They may not be able to fill half of that in El Salvador because they don't have the infrastructure to fill that out. So so you have to really look at the markets and see where where they can get return on the investment, right? And um, as you said, the product with cricket is already established. So if it is that we start looking at the major sports, 
cricket, football, track and field. I think those are the three areas. If we start really focusing on developing that space, I think we would we would do well because everyone knows Jamaica for track and field. You know, um, everyone knows the West Indies for cricket. We have our ups and downs of football, but I think the opposition will be the selling point for us if we get good games. Yeah, <laughs> okay. As sad as that is, right? Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, but but being patriotic, I'm, I'm sure we'll come out in a sea of red because I don't want to see a Trinidadian win an Argentinian jersey and uh, we playing against Argentina in Trinidad. <laughs> and I know it'll happen, eh? Man, I know. Take away messages here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But see, that 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 don't bother your boy. Like, <laughs> you need to stay the minute watching that man. You know, away from boy. Buy from Shogunas, boy. Buy <laughs> <laughs> from Shogunas. Pull Argentina kit. Pull Argentina kit. <laughs> Scarf, all kind of thing. He stroke. Yeah. So, so where are you going? The man have even seen Argentina in his life. <laughs> yeah, you know? That's true, that's true. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's one of the challenges that we have too from, from, from the sporting side that um, we're not patriotic until we, we start doing well or reach a certain yeah, point where yeah. people think we, we're going to qualify for something or we're going to do something great then we jump on board you know when you watch primary school sports in Jamaica the stadium full full true no but yeah sports in Jamaica pushed from early you know that's in your curriculum right. them, yeah. them fellas doing shot put and thing in, yeah. in secondary school you know well, as they yeah. say, right, sports is what, you know, they use across here to take care of to get to, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's education, you know? On a broad macro level, that, that's why they, they support it from so young and that's why um on this side, you know, we don't, yeah. we don't think that that's if, what we, if, we, we If we, we say need. you can't throw a shot, put tomorrow, say, hey, I just go in the bank in the morning. Yeah? <laughs> <Might say, laughs> yeah, yeah, go back to school. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's true. So I was really um excited to get those opportunities. I'm just coming back home three, four years in the retailing in Trinidad and Tobago and working with the CPL, then working with TTFA and getting a chance to work on a FIFA project and organizing games and that kind of thing. Because I was getting that experience, I decided to go into consulting, sports consulting, and started looking at ways to create my own brand, but also franchise brands that will give us an outlet to get international exposure, but also bring arrivals into the country. Um, so, while wrapping up my stint in TTFA, I told them that I would like to go out on my own. I'd like to consult. And that's when I ended up starting my company, um, Liquid Edge, which is my just my consulting business. And um, I started looking at licensing, you know. Right. Um, and I didn't know where to start, you know. It was like a franchise kind of model. Yeah, look, looking at a franchise model. But I didn't know where to start. Honestly, I didn't know where to start. You know, I, I knew what I was good at. Um, I knew all the connections that I had internationally. But everything was just football, 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 right. football, football. Football and cricket, right? And because cricket, yeah. football, because you had a passionate about it. Yeah, and I was looking at Cricket because of your yeah. family. Yeah, and right. family. So I was like, you know, what can I do different? What can I do out of the box? And um ended up meeting the president of the Trinidad and Tobago Cheerleading Federation and heard her being passionate about chair. So I said, you know, really cheerleading is um is something that's taken off in Trinidad. So obviously being a, a, a marketing person, I went and I did my research and realized how big cheerleading was in the US and how much of a commercial business it was and how viable it was. So being the guy that I am, I jumped on a plane. I went to Disney World for the World Cheerleading Championship. Now, people say cheerleading, boy, but when I saw the physical presence of these teams, like the Germans, the Norwegian team, the British team, these guys were like powerful, strong guys, and they were doing like all this acrobatic gymnastic stuff and building pyramids with girls and they're flipping and stuff. And I, and I saw how meticulous they were with their um, craft that it's like any slip or any slight in judgment, 
somebody could get seriously hurt, you know? So this is like hours of training and falling, people bruising themselves. And like, you know, these people are passionate about their sport. And I am looking at the landscape in Trinidad and realizing that they have young girls coming up who want to be cheerleaders and they're looking for that outlet. And I recently had my daughter and I was saying, you know, when I saw cheerleaders in Trinidad and they're talking about their experiences, you know, it, it was helping them build confidence, working with, with young girls, being a part of a group setting where they could trust people, talk to people and, and learn from each other. Uh, hey, I would like my daughter to be involved in something like this. So I said to the president of the federation for cheerleading, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to develop a brand and I'm going to see how it works. I'm going to do it as a, as a test piece to see what impact it will have. So then I jumped on a plane and I was invited by the International Cheer Union. They're like the FIFA of cheerleading. I went to Prague for the European Cheerleading Championship. But so I was able to meet all the European teams there, coaches, understand the whole thing. Because now I'm thinking in my head, hmm, beat soccer. So beat soccer was was this. It started off as an event. It's a niche product. It's an international presence. Blah, 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 same model. How could we now introduce it to Trinidad and Tobago on that level? After leaving Prague... They were inviting me to the Asian Cheerleading Championship. So I was in Japan, giving out medals and all kind of thing in, in Japan for cheerleading and stuff, you know. Getting that opportunity because the Caribbean is a place everybody wants to go to. They just don't know what opportunities and infrastructure they have. They, they just know about the beaches and the sun, sea and the sand. But when I showed them Trinidad and Tobago, wow, the National Performing Arts Center. You guys have one of those in Trinidad. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, you guys have five stadia. You guys have tracks. When, so when they start really seeing the infrastructure that we have, we are up there in terms of having that physical infrastructure. So when they see that now, they start realizing that there may be an opportunity to come into Trinidad. So I said, you know what? Let me develop a brand. So now thinking, 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 Caribbean, look, feel, how do I get cheerleaders down here? How do I get coaches down here? I was sitting down one day in Blazing Hot Sun and I said, boy, why would I cheer any sun? <laughs> and I was like, holy, that, that could actually work. Why would we don't develop something called Cheer Any Sun to appeal to the Scandinavian cheerleaders, the North American cheerleaders, that they could actually come to a location where they could cheer any sun, have a good time, but guess what? They get the same sun, sea, and sand experience along with the sport. So that was one of the first things I developed under the Liquid Company is a event called Cherry Sun. Held in Magdalena Grand last year. In Tobago. In Tobago, yeah. Got Magdalena as a partner. Got them on board. We had um, coaches from Norway, coaches from Texas, from Tennessee coming to Tobago to work on cheerleading. So this was the first brand that I that I developed. The event was successful. We had cheerleaders from all over Trinidad coming across to Tobago to compete. It was all over the international chair group, um, chair union, their website. People were pushing it. And Trinidad and Tobago became a location now for people to say, hey, there's a cheerleading movement taking place in Trinidad. And that was really exciting for me. Now, people would say it's a, a serious shift from beach soccer, cricket, football. No, I, get it. I get it. You, you're attracted by the passion. Yeah. And that could happen in any any athletic endeavor, really. Correct. Correct. You see and the passion, you see yeah. the discipline. And so that could have been any sport. Like correct. you said, it could be marble it could pitching. Be marble pitching. You know, once, once, once there's some kind of affiliation to international group, international body, and you have people doing it at a high level, let's see how we could bring them down and let's see how we could now learn from them so that we could actually beat them and compete on that level. And that was the idea behind Cherny Sun. So Cherny Sun is a brand now that um, I'm looking to, to continue developing. How long has it been out now? Um, we just we just started it last year. It was the right. first year we did it. All right, so I'm thinking about doing it every two years. So looking at doing it again next year. Um, I'm preparing for it. So while doing that, you know, in business and entrepreneurship, things just fall in your lap sometimes that you really don't see it coming. 
Um, I guess that's why it falls in your lap, but it wasn't planned. While preparing for training, son, ended up meeting a guy who I was trying to help push the dance part of it. So they do chair and they do dance, right? Now I can't, I can't dance to save my life. I mean, <laughs> I could jump up and whine and that kind of thing, but to, to dance and, and that level. Sing Calypso, hey, yeah, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Andrew Jeffers are coming for you. Why did mama get any man by you? Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, I said, you know, I'm looking to do this chair in this event. Could you support by bringing some of your dance experience so we could probably do a chair and a dance product? And the guy started talking to me about dance and the direction dance is going and how passionate. And I guess I feed off of people's passion because I know how passionate I was when I got beat soccer going and no one was there with me and we, we, we worked it hard and we got it to that level. So he talked to me about his passion for dance and how the dance community was going through the issues in Trinidad. And then he said to me, have you heard about World of Dance? I was like, World of Dance? No. He's like, you know J-Lo? I said, of course. So I just... <laughs> yeah, you know that. I, of course, J-Lo. Hey. Now, now you're piquing my interest. And so I went online and I saw Rule of Dance. It's a big production by NBC. Jennifer Lopez is the executive producer. Neo is also on the show. Derek Hoff is another judge. And I started watching what they were about to do. And they were launching this big Rule of Dance event. And he says, hey, you know, I have, um, I have connections with um, the international license manager for World of Dance. We were thinking about doing a franchise in Trinidad, but it's very difficult for me because that's not my thing. I'm, I'm a dancer. You know, I'm the business side of it. I, I really don't have that acumen, but it's something I think you should look into because it's a it's a good opportunity. So, just like I did with beat soccer, just like I did with cricket, just like I did with football, just like I did with cheerleading, I went and I researched everything inside out, understand the global market. How long you researching it though? I would say every day for like a couple of weeks. Just yeah. going hard, let's read and read and doing studies. Like, how feasible is it? Is it something that could make money? Is it something that is sustainable? Is it something that will drive multiple revenue streams? Is it something that could be packaged? Could it be put on television? What what can be done? And after doing my research, I said this is a this is a hit because Will of Dance just started. Jennifer Lopez is a is a, a marquee face, right? And she's the one pushing the brand, right? Okay, we we'll leave it at face. Go on. You want to go? personality yeah she's a market personality all right um i i, I agree with you and she's a she's a great artist and your wife agrees with you yeah. <laughs> of course you know um and, she, and i i told them i think this is something i could work because world of dance does not have any as again i mentioned world of dance doesn't have any representation in the caribbean so i always look at that first how can we be the first in the caribbean so Bro, I jumped on a plane again, flew to Los Angeles to meet with the president of Ruler Dance. And when you start meeting with people and you start realizing their stories, you know, you start saying, hey, I'm on a dot in the Caribbean and my story and your story is similar, you know, and you're in big LA. And the guy was simple. He's like, have a passion for dance, have a passion for pushing it, develop the brand, started building the brand. Eventually, the David Gonzalez. David Gonzalez, yeah, president of Ruler Dance. And uh, just a funny story about this, um, I use this example when I was talking to some kids that I, that I was mentoring. I was flying to Miami when the hurricane was coming. Uh, I think it was Irma, right? Um, is it Irma? It's the summer, summertime. Okay. I booked my flight and Dave Gonzalez told me that he only had 20 minutes to meet 
on the Friday. He's like, I only have 20 minutes to meet with you on the Friday. You need to get here. We need to talk. If you're serious about this thing, let's see if the Caribbean is the right fit because we do world dance all over the world and we don't have any representation in the Caribbean, but we're only looking at serious people to do this. After the minutes on Thursday, come and meet me. Check the flights. Go into Miami. People say, Kyle, the hurricane is about to hit. I call the airline, American Airlines, say, hey, we still flying. Flight going out to Miami. As I landed in Miami, boom. I had to connect the next morning because I came in in the evening. I had to connect the next morning to fly to LA. I got a message on my phone. All flights canceled out of Miami airport to, to Los Angeles. But this would have been, but I left earlier. I left around, this was around the Monday. I left around the Monday because I saw the hurricane coming. So I said, well, let me get into Miami early, right? My overnight in Miami, go to LA, probably spend three, four days in LA, just sightseeing or whatever, and then preparing for my meeting. I got to Miami next morning, flights canceled. No way I could leave. They say that the hurricane is hitting the airport is shutting down for how many days? I say, nah, this can't be happening, boy. I say, could I fly to Fort Lauderdale? They say nothing. I say, Orlando? They say nothing. I say, well, where's the next airport I could fly out from? They say Atlanta. I say, oh, well, cool. I went to high school in Atlanta. My, my dad living up there. I said, well, hey, what? I rent a car and I drove from Miami wow. to Atlanta, right, to get to that flight. How long was that drive? That drive took about 16 hours because everyone was driving out of Florida because of the hurricane. So it took about 16 hours wow. to drive, right? Got to Atlanta, Georgia. Spend the night in Atlanta, Georgia. Going to the airport the next day. Hurricane turned up north. Atlanta, Hartsfield Airport. Cancel all the flights oh, out of Atlanta oh God. To, to, to LA. Oh God, you get sick. So I said, Jesus, I say, no way. Like, no, this is a real test, boy. Like, you know, why Why are you doing this? So everyone in Trinidad is like, hey, just, just fight it and just come back home. And like, what, what are you doing all this for? I was like, no, I have to, I have to get to LA. So I called the airline. I said, when is the next flight out? They said, well, we can't guarantee you anything. The only thing we can do is get you out of another airport. I say, well, but the airport's closed. I say, well, if you could drive to another airport, you can go. So I said, well, where's the next available airport? They said the next available airport is New Orleans. I said, okay. Oh, Lord. I jumped in the car. I drove from Atlanta to New Orleans. That's, right? That's took about, how long? about six hours. Oh, right? Small drive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I find it shake like, yeah, that's small drive. Yeah, yeah, that's small drive. Six hours. Oh, for 16, but it's yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six hours, that's nothing. <laughs> I, reached, I reached New Orleans. I said, good. Overnighting in New Orleans. So this is now Wednesday morning. Wednesday night, sorry. Wednesday night, flying out to LA, right? The meeting is Thursday. So Wednesday night, flying out to LA. Took the rental car. Drop off the rental car in the airport in New Orleans. We got my boarding pass. Go to the gate. Waiting the board. Ladies and gentlemen, plane has a technical difficulty. <laughs> we will be canceling this flight. Please go to the counter. And we would have to put you up in a hotel for the night. I said, no, I have a meeting tomorrow morning, Thursday morning in LA. It's nighttime. It's like 9 p.m. Right, But LA is three hours behind. So it's 9 p.m. in New Orleans. I need to get to LA. It's like, sir, we're so sorry. Like, we have no flights out tonight. The next available flight is tomorrow. Right? I say, yeah, but if I leave tomorrow, I miss the meeting. This man say you have 20 minutes to meet with me. I say, I can't do that. So I jump on, on the computer. I call my wife as well. I say, hey, flight canceled. I can't, I can't get to LA. So she starts looking for flights and stuff like that. And she says, well, what time is your meeting? I said, 10 a.m. Pacific time. She's like, well, I'm finding a flight that will get you into LA at 9 a.m. Okay. Right? tomorrow morning I said well cool well, what to do she's like but it's out of Houston <laughs> <laughs> why you try to LA one time <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say I'll say each LA not come anytime the story done so wow. I went back downstairs right <laughs> going to the rental car companies 
get a rental car, I get a little minivan because they say they had no cars, all they had left was a minivan, <laughs> a soccer mom van, I said, I'm taking it. Jump on your soccer mom and I drove from New Orleans to, to Houston. That was another, about five or six hours I drove. Ooh. Got to Houston about five o'clock in the morning and flew from Houston to LA. But while all this was going on, I was telling them in LA what was happening, right? right? And when I landed in LA, it was just after nine o'clock in the morning and I ain't shaving four or five days, right? I ain't shower because that whole trip was just driving. So I call him as a, hey, I'm in LA, right? I just landed. I can't even go to the hotel or anything like that. I'm coming straight to the meeting and stuff. And she said, hey, um, the president of Wollandan says, you know, um, if you went through all that just to be here for this meeting, don't worry. He would cancel his meetings on Friday and he would he would sit down with you for on Friday, go have a shower, shave, get some rest and come and meet with us the next morning because he said he can't believe you left Trinidad to come to LA and went through all that to be here to get this opportunity yeah, to get wow. an option for this franchise. So he man said, come back tomorrow. So I said, well, so after all my adrenaline pumping, I was like, all right, cool, I went and rest. Went to the, the office the next morning, knock on the door. If you see your boy, suit. <laughs> Shield on there. I said, what? I say, I say, yeah, like I just land, you know what I mean? A, a fresh number, you know? So random, this, this, uh, I hear a dog barking. I saw like, it's like, I come to the wrong office. I hear a dog barking inside this, in this place. So I was like, well, I in the wrong place. So he said, no, no, you're in the right place. So uh, some guy woke up now to use the bathroom and he says, um, who are you here to see? I said, well, I'm here to see Chelsea. She's the international license officer for, um, license director, sorry, for, for Will of Dance. He's like, oh, okay, well, no problem. But when he closed the door, I couldn't open it, so I'm knocking, but I'm hearing this dog barking. I was like, nah, I'm not going in there with that dog barking. He's like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. So Chelsea comes, open the door. I go in there, I talk to Chelsea. And this is a lesson that, you know, people listening that um, no matter how much research you do, certain positions or situations that you get into, you really have to think quickly and think on the fly because like, you understand why I'm saying that. So Chelsea comes, opens the door and walks in. I was like, yo, some guy just walk out there and tell me this is the right place. I wasn't sure I was seeing a dog barking. She's like, oh, it's a little dog. It's like a small dog. And the dog was just like, like the, the Taco Bell dog and I just jumping up on your foot, <laughs> right? And um, she took me into this room and um, the guy who went to use the bathroom came back inside and he sat down in the conference room there, right? With the, so he holding the dog and I just put the dog in his lap and just like petting the dog. And so I was like, oh, I was like, cool, no no worries. I'm just waiting on Chelsea to come back. She just went to get some um, information for the for the meeting. So, and the guy you now, short pants, sneakers and a t-shirt and just petting his dog now. So I say, yo, I say, sorry about that, man. I just I just didn't realize that it, it was a little dog. The really dog was barking. I thought it was some, some big dog, you know? He's like, yeah, you know, that's the dog that we have around here. You know, I'm very friendly and stuff. So, we said, okay, well, how was your trip? I said, cool, just um, just waiting to meet with um, Chelsea. You came from Trinidad, man. I went through all these different hurdles to get here, but I'm glad that I'm here. So I said, um, what's your role with, with the company? So like, I mean, how long have you been working? I'm asking, like, how long have you been working here? You know, what's your role? He's like, well, um, I'm the president. Um, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I said, what? I said, yeah. I said, okay, okay, cool. I said, um, so you just walk past outside and I just walk. He's like, yeah, well, you know, um, I, um, I'm just, that's how I am. I'm just, I'm just cool. This man, like, sit down there, petting his dog, right? Walk past me normal, like, you know, like, say, hi, good morning, just, you know. And I, in my suit, you know, <laughs> GQ dog, I think, yeah. and this man sit down there in a shorts, petting a dog. Oh. And then Chelsea came back, and I, Chelsea, you didn't tell this, this Dave Gonzalez in, in the room here. She's like, oh, I thought you knew Dave. And Dave, <laughs> and they start laughing, you know. And what, what was supposed to be a 20-minute meeting turned into a two-hour meeting. Just sitting down, sharing ideas and understanding that, 
what I want to do with his brand and help him with his brand is the direction that he wanted to go. I showed him Napa. And when he saw Napa, he's like, Napa, you guys have a better venue than many of the people that we have franchises with around the world. He's like, that must cost you guys like hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to, to, to use that venue. I was like, no, the government is giving that for a very cheap price. You could get that for about 2,000 US. He's like, that venue? I was like, yeah. I was like, and that's where our event is going to be and that's where your brand is going to be and that's where you're going to, that's where we're going to push the movement and the young people are going to get involved and we're going to promote the communities to get involved in the schools, to get involved in the world of dance. And after that, he said, hey, you know what? The passion, the determination and what you're showing me here, I want people like you to help build my brand and any market or any location that you think my brand can work in a global landscape, I'll be willing to give you those franchises in those other places. I said, oh, really? What do you think about Nigeria, right? <laughs> and she said, well, we, we're looking at the, um, the African market. I said, well, I have a very good um, contact there in Nigeria. And I think it'll be something that will work well because everyone is following a lot of the dance moves coming out of Nigeria, the music, right? The, the artists, the entertainment, the culture, they, they're really strong. What can we do to get into Nigeria? And I say, well, I have really good contacts. True football coming back in, right? That got me into Nigeria because I, at that time, was planning to help Nigeria with a carnival that they're launching called the Wazobia Carnival, which I went on to help build with them last February and I'm going back again next year. I, I want to come too. Yeah, yeah, of, co of course. Well, like, say, what are you doing? What are you going to do? I mean, yeah, we know, we know real people from Nigeria too. Eh? Yeah, oh, but, yeah, but the Caribbean miles do carry there though, so I don't figure out. <laughs> no, which we way, rolling with um, yeah, Kyle Equa. Yeah, depends on which way the wind blowing. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, hurricane just come from that side. Yeah, we just come from that side, you know? Yeah, no, but, we're but, jumping but, on the plane with Kyle. sound like a real nice vibe though. Yeah, 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 yeah so they start, building, they start building this carnival brand in Nigeria. And what I ended up doing was I ended up so tied in really well. So the dancers that I was working with for Wola Dance, I ended up taking five soca dancers across to Nigeria and they were leading the carnival, leading the parade, doing um, workshops, showcasing the dance from our music and our culture. And they were bridging the Afro music and the Caribbean music and doing things like that. So they want to continue building on the carnival brand. So I told him I have a very good connection with Nigeria. And he said, okay, let's see if you can export the Nigerian market. And spoke to the partner in Nigeria and now I'm a a co-franchise a co holder for Wooler Dance Nigeria as well. So I have Wooler Dance Trinidad and Tobago and I have Wooler Dance Nigeria, two franchises coming out of that meeting with Dave Gonzalez. Um, I thought you had Jamaica as well. Yeah, we have you have Jamaica as well. Sorry, yes, we have Jamaica. <laughs> Not too much thing, but yeah, yeah, we, yeah, have Jamaica, yeah, yeah. we have Jamaica franchise as well. Oh, like, um, oh yeah, I got that too. <laughs> yeah, no, so we have Jamaica, we have Trinidad. So after this year, we did it, right? We say we're going to do Jamaica next year. Looking at the population size for the venues and the cities that they do roller dance, they use a 10 million person population, right? So roller dance is usually done by cities. So it's roller dance London, roller dance Paris, roller dance Buenos Aires. And now here we are, roller dance Trinidad and Tobago, mm. right? <laughs> because the, the numbers were um, not even close to 10 million, right? right. So when I told them, I wanted, initially I was trying to get Wooler Dance Caribbean, right? To try and put everybody into one pool because when you add up the numbers in the Caribbean, you know, let's have one location. But um, Jamaica has their unique style, their unique, their unique culture, their unique brand, and we we're looking at using Jamaica as well. But what we're seeing now is that from their perspective in Wooler Dance, coming out of it, 
they're now seeing what I was trying to tell them about Bulalands Caribbean, that if we try to do one in Jamaica and we try to do one in Trinidad, because they do it by territories, if someone decides they want to do Bulalands Guyana, somebody wants to do Bulalands Barbados, what you're going to have is that everyone's just going to have a little, a little piece, a little piece, a little piece, where the rest of the globe is a 10 million person market for them to go into a, a territory. So this year for Wooler Dance event, very successful event. We had dancers that flew in from Florida, from Guyana, from Grenada, from Barbados, from St. Vincent, all coming to Trinidad and Tobago to perform here, to try and get to Los Angeles to the, to the big stage, right? So my vision was, could we still use Trinidad and Tobago as the hub and have all these countries come to Trinidad and Tobago and then shoot off to, to LA? Seeing that we have infrastructure, we have the, the logistics operations, everything sponsors the support, it'll make sense. So we are now in discussions with them to lump it together as one, right? Jamaica and Trinidad being one location, as opposed to trying to do one here and then one in Jamaica. Yeah. Because when you add Jamaica population and our population is still only 3.5, yeah. 4 million people, yeah. not even close. So what can we do to get everybody to come to one location? Well, Nigeria is it's, it's easy. I mean, Nigeria is actually two cities, Abuja and Lagos. So we're doing Willow Dance in Abuja and Willow Dance in Lagos. And Lagos alone is 21 million people, right? So the Willow Dance brand, Liquid Edge franchise holders, successfully event this year. We took dancers off to Los Angeles. Um, Thema Williams actually won many categories. Thema, um, in my eyes, now only number one gymnast in the country. And um, we also had a couple named Stefan and Carlene who does Latin dance. All these things that I learned along the way, right? Um, in terms of the different styles and stuff, but did really well across there. And they're now waiting on a caller from NBC for the next round of casting to get a chance to go on the show to hopefully make it onto the big stage with Jennifer Lopez. And these things just all happened to tie into place this year. And my company is only one and a half, almost two years old. And we've been very fortunate to get these opportunities in the sports consulting and sports marketing realm. So we're now looking at one more franchise in the Asian market because I have good relationships over there. So the idea is to have one in the Caribbean, one in Africa, and one in Asia. And we'll be, we'll be good. And Dave Gonzalez will be happy and we'll all be happy. Um, and while <laughs> uh, preparing for World of Dance, the opportunity came to, to get the bars on the avenue and I decided hey why not go after it because okay so we doing <laughs> tie it to sports yeah you know so alright so we doing when do soccer, I sleep yeah we doing dance we doing cheerleading cheerleading we right. doing we, we, we foot, international yeah international why why we need a bar Nigeria carnival avenue? yeah why do we need a bar on our pizza avenue um always wanted a bar my idea was to always have a, a sports bar Right, I really want Probably to into the sports though. Really want to ah, sports we'll get it to okay. Oh yeah, because yeah. there's a TV there. Six you... screens across the, the front right. of, of um sixty three lounge, right? And that was the idea. Really, all it's showing is Wooler dance. It only showing beach football, beach football, quiet edge, yeah, ecosystem. Exactly. I want to see nothing else. No swimming and table tennis and thing. <laughs> so exactly. So it's, so it all ties in. So so for the World Cup, I got a relationship with um Red ninety six nine ninety five point five, and they broadcasted all the games live from 63 for the World Cup and in doing that we had a really nice buzz throughout the whole World Cup season and then we got big brands to come on board to the point where for the World Cup finals I was able to get Angostura to block off the road and we had a 40 foot trailer with a big screen showing the World Cup finals in front of 63 with thousands of people outside 
And this was me saying, boy, you know, I really wanted a sports bar. And now I have a location to do events, launch, like launch events, invite sports teams to come, invite international people when they come down, they can go to the bar and promote that side of it and tie that all back into what we're doing with Liquid Edge from the sports marketing side of it, what we're doing with the, the hosting of people and that kind of thing. So it was it was exciting for us to, to get into that business. Now that business is, is, is really challenging because you know it's going till four or five in the morning. So you really have to have the right management style, the right team around you, understanding stock, understanding purchasing, understanding leveraging brands, which is something that I, I really know well. And um making sure that we make ourselves a staple location on the avenue. And that was for me just getting into business in something different. I'm just trying to see like how many different things all tie into each other that dependent on each other to succeed. And having a location like that on the avenue, I think is is a benefit for me with what we're trying to do with all our other brands and, and events and concepts. So the bars now, developing it into sports bar but also a night lounge so we just want to give different people opportunity to come and get a different experience on different nights if it's karaoke if it's latin if it's old school just want to come on with sports for example manchester united is playing against chelsea on saturday at 7 a.m we have the manchester club and the chelsea club coming to watch the games from the bar at 7 30 in the morning so we're just using that to continue to spread what i'm doing with my companies and just get people going how big is your full-time team though Small team, about uh, about five persons, uh, project manager, logistics, um, sponsorship and marketing, operations, and, um, well, HR and have a... Well, HR? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife is into HR, so she wow. she basically, like, she does, like, HR consulting and stuff like that, so she gets business from the HR standpoint. That's good. But my, but my actual team is about five people, and we just go at it, and then if I need to bring people on board... On a project by project basis, I will add people to the team and we just put together the scope, put together the, the timeline and just, just get the job done. So we have a couple of projects in the pipeline for next year in Trinidad, a couple in Brazil and back in Nigeria. So we'll be working around the clock for the next few months just to make sure that these brands and events come off really, really well next year. How do you juggle all those things without any of the, the balls falling though? Like I feel like um, I feel like be doing so much things at the same time. Um, you run the risk of you well, know. Look who talking. Yeah, no, right. No, uh, I, I, I get I creeping I, right I, now, boy. I'm taking a page out of see book, you know. Creeping, boy. Creeping. Yeah, actually, that's episode one. No, actually, try to streamline. January. Bit, go back to go back to the archives in January. <laughs> but for real, I feel like I feel like that's a lot to manage, John. I mean, it's an international scale. You have so many people that kind of depending on you and your brand and your yeah. skill set. You know, like how how you manage that, boy. So, so each one has a team. So Liquid has a team of persons. Bigo Sports has a different group of people that I do stuff with. The Beat Soccer Association has a different um, set of people. So basically finding the right teams, the right persons to make up the teams. And I just go from one-to-one, making sure that each is in place. Also the team and the bar, you know, we have a bar manager, we have a bar supervisor, we have bar staff. Sit down with them, have meetings with them, set these meetings and set the the, um, the direction every week. And yes, sometimes the ball may feel like it's dropping, but I guess the, the motivation level is high, but the people around you, you have to keep encouraging them and motivating them. They have good people in Trinidad that, that really want to do well and work. And you really have to figure out how to tap into that and motivate people. And I think I kind of do that pretty well, like encouraging people to, to buy into what I'm trying to do right. and showing how they can grow within that scope. That's a good angle. So then for young people trying to start off their little ventures and that kind of thing, right? What advice you would give in terms of, listen, 
this is how you go about yeah. getting the right people around you. Because you know the, the notion in Trinidad is that most people just look lazy and they don't really true. You know, so so what advice you would give somebody trying to so they have a venture, they have something small, they want to grow it, they want to bring on people, but they have no idea how to lead, how to yeah. manage, you know, coordinate and that. what advice do you give? You have to remember say that um no one wants it more than you because it's yours, right? Really? And you have to make sure that if it is that someone is falling short, it may be no disrespect to them that they can't, they just can't do the job properly. But that doesn't mean that you have to sit back and watch it fall. You you have to be that person to go and pick up the stack. So that's why we'll say sometimes I load and bear in the fridge, mm-hmm. right? I go in into the meeting with Angostura to sign the deal for Brandon. I'm talking to Carib about loading the truck to get stuff down there. I am up on the roof trying to fix lights, cameras, you know? Hmm. So I become the janitor, I become the, the bottle washer, I, be, I become everything. And I learn each part of it because you want this. This is your thing. This is your dream. This is your vision, right? At some point in time, you will get the right people to come on board. But in the early stages, it's really kind of, and I, I tell people that sometimes I feel like I was a, a man pulling a tugboat upstream by myself sometimes, mm. you know? But then when the tugboat reached to that point now and it, and it started to flow downstream, if you see passengers jump on the stream, right? And you have to realize that that is the part where you're really tested and challenged. So if it is that you are now starting up and your hope is that your partners, this partner will come in, this one will help you, this one will help you. You ain't paying them, but you know, you're trying to get them to buy into where you're doing anything you would be really disappointed at some point in time because they don't share the same passion and the same grit that you would have for your thing. So if you don't have the money and the capital, you really have to open the bottle, stock the shelf, take notes, do deals and everything. And then when the the boat starts to go downstream and people start jumping on, you're in a position to choose who you want on the boat and what are they going to be doing? Are you going to be staring? Are they going to be down the engine room? What are they going to be doing? And that's how I I really saw it, you know. I had to understand dance and production and marketing and hosting and where this is go, where that is go. Because here's why. Somebody may tell me that's $40,000 and I say, all right, cool, pay it up. And the next thing you know, it's really $20,000 if they just did this instead of that. So you know, not just because you want to know everything, but you have to figure out, is this the right decision to make based on my budget? Because I am the one that I have to pay out at the end of the day as well. So I need to know these things. Now, I mean, I proclaim to be the best in it, but you have to have some kind of knowledge in it, right? So now I know... How many pours in a bottle? If you have spillage in a bottle, I'm supposed to get 17 drinks out of this one bottle. Why when it rings up on the register, I'm only seeing 14 drinks. Then I'm three drinks short. All those different things. I only got to buy in March, but you have to know this thing inside out because no one else will care about it more than you. That's my advice to someone coming up. You mentioned your wife and your daughter. I, mean, I, I know them both. Any challenges in terms of managing that full-time responsibility with the, the myriad of other responsibilities. Yeah, and this is just, you know, I mean, you could, you could be as candid as Yeah, no, no, well, um, in front of every great man is a great woman, right? In front. In front. You see why he's win by? In yeah. front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and um, this is one of the good things about having a partner who is directly involved in 
the day-to-day business and the operations and what's going on. Because now she is sharing in that vision, she is sharing in that passion. So she understands the sacrifices that we both are making because sometimes she's doing it. Like, to be honest, like, sometimes when I knocked out and I'm so tired, it's 2, 3 in the morning. I wake up, I look at her, she's on her phone watching the cameras in the bar making sure the staff doing what they're supposed to do at 3, 4 in the morning. And I snoring on the place. I roll over like I rail out, you know. And she's checking the point of sale machine on the phone to see if the sales are matching up, you know, checking the stock at 4 in the morning. So when it's time to wake up now, our daughter gets up. We both get up, get our daughter ready, get out to school. And from that time to in the afternoon time, she's on the laptop doing her part. I'm doing my part. She's arguing with people. I try to, to to bring in people, you know. So so yeah, you have to you have to find that 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 complement and that balance. And I think it's unique for us because we both have that bone in us where we, we share the same um, values and we have the same drive. And the thing is that you know when I'm talking to other people and they ask the same question, sometimes in a relationship you have a uh, a wife who is let's just say she's working at eight to four, she goes and she clocks in. And you're trying to be an entrepreneur. You're trying to be a business person. And you're excited about what you're doing, but she's not seeing and sharing the excitement. And it, it causes issues because she's like, I'm home at four o'clock. Why aren't you home as yet? And I'm like, well, you know, I really have to go to this meeting. I have to do this, I have to do that. And not understanding that this needs to be done in order for it to happen. And the sacrifices that the greats would have made in business would have all had a similar story saying that if they get that support, they can reach really far. For example, um, Jeff Bezos from um, Amazon. He was working out of his garage and his girlfriend, then wife now, well, wife, was there in the garage with him trying to get Amazon off the ground, selling books online. And the next thing you know, then battle with Barnes & Noble because Barnes & Noble want to war with them and they're selling these books online through Amazon and Amazon ended up blowing up. But she was there putting the tape on the box, you know, shipping packages out for him, getting complaints, dealing with all those issues and she was, she was there in it. So... So for me, I'm, I really have to be fortunate to do something with passion and shared passion with my wife. So if it is that, you know, I walk into a party and I um, I reach the front and I, I see my, my, my boy walk in the front for, with his business and I look and I see his wife there as well. So in events right now? Yeah, in, in events, event, in events, you know. You go to a party and you see your boy with his business there doing really well and his wife is also there learning that support and being uh, intricately involved, you know. Yeah. Then you can watch and say, you know, hey, He's doing something. His wife is there supporting. They have that shared experience. And those are the kind of things that you pick up on right away when it is you going through similar struggles, you know? Yeah. yeah. So for my other podcast, which is going to launch in November, called Becoming Festival, I interviewed Nigel Romano, the mm. CEO and um, MD of JMB Bank Trinidad. And he was talking about managing people. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ties back into what you guys are saying about your wives and your staff and everything yeah. where to get people to share accountability with you yeah, to be responsible with you or to, to even share that vision with you. You have to enroll them at first. Mm-hmm. You have to go through that process where you get them to buy into the vision, buy into the, into the movement, buy into the whole progress of what you're trying to do before you could actually get them any kind of responsibility or put any onus on them yeah. to have your back or to do their job or whatever it is. Yeah. So it's really interesting how you just kind of bring that full circle. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's true because the thing is, you want them to buy into it, right? But there comes a point in time when they're buying into it and they're not seeing any returns. So they start saying, well, how much buy I have to buy before I actually see something personally 
Yeah. Before I get some personal gain out of it, and that's when you start seeing people falling off the the maxi. You know, um, you may go without paying yourself or say for a year, mm. right? Just to make sure that you reach your goal, but you may not find somebody who willing to not be paid for a year and share the vision with you and be there day in day out, unless it's that person that you are married to or that partner that you have who understands that part of it as well all right because i've tried that as well you know bringing people on board and like hey in a year's time things will be really well you know we get these projects off the ground let's just see if we could band our belly for now and, and really try to make it through it's like everybody starts off yeah you know let's do it you know let's go let's go all yeah, in yeah <laughs> you know one two three go you know and then and then when you run on the field now and they watch back you see people on the bench like wait <laughs> You know, they go ahead of time. Stop, 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 stop. I'm on two hot fire. I'm on two hot right now. You only have flying by yourself. I will train this son. Yeah, yeah, I will train this. No, it's true, you know. So then, but then when you really do see the persons on the field, field there with you who who take any tackles, hmm. who take any punches, you know, you really want to empower those people and give them that opportunity now to spread the wings, like how I was able to spread my wings when I went into the TTFA with the with the football, they were like, hey, spread your wings. Do what you can do. We believe you can do it. I'm not going to micromanage. If there's something that you want to try, let's try it. Right? Let's sit down, look at it, and let's try it. My grandfather told me, you have two ears and one mouth. You listen twice as much as you speak. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's not like a grandfather talk. Yeah, you know, listen twice as much as you speak and you would get, you would get a lot of wisdom, you get a lot of knowledge. That was my approach. So I've always been low-key under the radar, but I've been listening, 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 watching, taking advice, and reading. I do a lot of reading. Like every time I'm in the airport, I'm in magazines, looking at building an empire, reading on leadership skills, how to manage groups, conflict resolution, all these different things, and just trying to make myself become better and keep educating myself to be able to face those challenges. Because if somebody come and tell me, the freezer, freezing the drink at, Negative one point six, right? The fridge, right? Yeah. But I was like, well, what time did you put the bears in? I put the bears in at three o'clock. No, you did not put the bears in at three o'clock. If you put the bears in at three o'clock, then it would not be freezing at negative one point six. It, it would be freezing at negative two point four, two point five, based on the time frame. So these are the things that, hmm. if you ask me that question last year, I didn't know, right? But I had to learn, I had to educate myself, and I didn't feel like I knew everything when I went into it. I actually sat down and Tell I learned. Something. I mean, I really, I'd like to wrap soon. Yeah, no problem. Because <laughs> you're going in an hour and a half thing, but you just brought up a really interesting question in my mind. Let's compare your journey through entrepreneurship mm. the past decade or so and yeah. change compared to your education at, at, uh, right. at Harvard. Yeah. Think, right? Because you're talking about you've learned, you learned marketing, you learned sponsorship, yeah. you've learned people management and all mm. these things. What do you say you've learned more as an entrepreneur than you've learned studying sports management um, at Howard? I wouldn't say more. I think Howard provide the foundation and the fundamentals, right? right? And the theory and the, the case studies for me to look and analyze certain things. And I guess that would have helped me in this part of the journey because when we were in Howard, we were on teams. They put us in business school, they put us all on teams and they gave us projects and you had to work on these projects. So from day one, you have to learn how to play your role, how to lead on a team, how to concede, when to push, when to hold back, and how to present, how to pitch, how to research, how to argue, how to debate. And then they test you on it 
and you go with that group all throughout your journey at Howard. So I'm spending three, four years with, with these people in group environments, learning team building. When things fail, how to put the pieces back together. People in your team must fight. Conflict resolution, bringing them back together. Now taking that now and five, six years down the road now, you're in the environment now and you're remembering these things like, it's like it's come like riding a bicycle. Like you remember, hey, you know, we have had a similar situation, I guess. What did we do? And it, it ties back into the educational journey that we had in Howard and that experience. So the education system was able to help you a lot because yeah. they use the simulation-based method Correct. rather than just a pure classroom, sit down, listen yeah. and learn kind of. Correct, and regurgitate information and, and, and do a test and pass out, you know. Yeah. They, they, I think what happens to people, people tend to forget where the source of some of the skills that they have uh, have now came yeah. from, right? Yeah. So for example, I'm a, I'm a pretty good writer and I just assume I was always a good writer and I, yeah, I could real write now, man, thing. But then when you think back on it, I remember certain classes you have gone through with teachers and then were like, you know, every single sentence you had to go through to find to comb. And you had no choice in school if you wanted to get an A to actually take it to the next level. And then you have me experience like us in with, with uh, you yes. know, certain managers we may have shared. Nico Ruiz Montalvo. <laughs> you know, even Tracy, Tracy. Tracy, Tracy Ruiz, yes, yeah. so, yes, yeah. So I mean like, you know, a lot of people kind of short sell the, 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 the formal education thinking that, well, boy, I learned this on, the, on you know, on, in apprenticeship, boy, I learned this. Yeah. But some of the core skill sets that I think, you know, and that's something that actually just kind of came to mind as you were speaking there because I personally believe that, you know, you have a lot of, a lot of disadvantages by spending, uh, you know, certain university time, but you can't totally discount the, the benefits of, of that experience. So, you know, I, I agree to a hundred, a hundred percent. And if people, people would say, you know, um, what did you learn in school? Sometimes I can't even remember some of the, the theories that I would learn in school, but I, I can tell you about the experiences right. that I, that I learned in those same classes, applying the theories, I, I remember those things, all right? And that's what I'm using now to help train my uh, my team and also keep myself on top of it. But still, though, I have to keep reading because, you know, as things change, the world is very... The learning never yeah, stops. Learning <laughs> the world never, is very dynamic. Stops. You know, yeah. you have to keep learning, keep reading. Something that may have been relevant back in Howard may not be applicable now. Yeah. And um, we need to be on top of it, especially if we are entrepreneurs and want to be leaders in the business world. So I just have one last question for you. I mean, you're a young guy and you've achieved probably more than some tenfold that some mm. people achieve in a lifetime, right? So people listening might be like, wait, boy, this man, Jerry, so in real, you know, wait, do this, all the right steps, all the right opportunities. What would you say was one of your biggest setbacks or disappointments or even um, failures, if you want to be as cliche as that? But give us something that says, okay, Kyle Likai is still human. He's still, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. He's still, he's still, you know. um, I mean, everything did not happen overnight. You know, it was knocking on doors, getting plenty of no's, like that idea didn't go work. You know, like, okay, well, it may not work to a C, but you know what? To Bob, it might work, right. right? To be quite honest, I've gotten more no's than yeses in this whole journey. Way more no's than yeses. But the funny thing is, the no's have now come around to become the yeses, right? But if I had stopped at the no's, then, hmm. you know, I would not have been on this journey I am in right now. So, for example, one of the, the major disappointments to me is that um I've been lobbying to get a beach soccer pitch built in Trinidad and Tobago since 2013 trying to get everything done reaching two three steps and then halt not getting anywhere right 
And I think that will be one of my my biggest, I say, failures or disappointment because it's something I promised to the, the players, something I promised to the the international teams that I'm going to have a beat soccer pitch in Trinidad. But what was a failure is now becoming a success because the TTFA is building a home of football in Cuba and I was able to convince the president to build a beat soccer pitch mm. as part of the project for the home of football. So within the next month or so, Trinidad and Tobago will have a beat soccer pitch in Coover for players in Trinidad to work and train and develop on the lights and stuff like that. So what would have been a challenge or a disappointment for me, I still take that and turn it around and try to see how I can still turn that, that disappointment or failure into a success. So that would have been one. Two, I would say another failure for me would have been um, not getting as many sponsors as I wanted for a couple of events that I would have done and having to basically struggle through the project, pulling my own resources together, being creative, trying to see how I can make it work, and then still succeeding at the end of it, but failing because I was not able to get or convince people who I thought would have been on board with my projects. So I've had, as I said, plenty failures in terms of no's, but um, the few yeses, has catapulted me to the position I'm in right now. So I guess you could get a hundred no's, 20 yeses, and those 20 yeses yeah. took me on this journey. Nice. Well, we'll see. That sounds like investing. You invest in a bunch of stocks. Could be a 20 losses, but the one win yeah. can make up for all those losses. All the losses, correct. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. All right. Nice, man. Positive. So Kyle, where can we find you? You can find me in the club. <laughs> <laughs> now you can find me by 63. Um, you, you can find me at my my office in Woodbrook. But definitely if anyone needs for me any advice, I'm looking to also start lecturing and these kind of things. Uh, my number is 7720248. Put it out there because I'm willing to talk to everyone. And you can reach me at kalikwai at gmail.com. Right? kalikwai at gmail.com. Right? Okay. I'm always available, always. I don't sleep much, so I'm always available. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, brother. So there you have it, folks. Sports management done right. This was Caribbean Power Lunch. We want you to subscribe at caribbeanpowerlunch.com slash subscribe. Listen to us on CastBox, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And with that, Podcast World, Cabin Studios, we are out. We are out.